Hey, thanks for tuning into our podcast today. My name is Derek Puckett. I'm the lead pastor at Renewal Church of Chicago. If you want to know more information about us, you can head to our website at RenewalChicago.com. I pray today that this message is a blessing and an encouragement to your soul. Well, if you got a Bible, go ahead and meet me in chapter 7 of Matthew. Matthew chapter 7. We've been walking through this Sermon on the Mount, and we're going to end today where Jesus has been talking about what it means to truly be a Christian. What's Christian living look like in an everyday world? Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 to 29. If you got it, I'm going to ask you to stand on your feet if you are able. And once you stand and you have it, say, got it. We'll give you a few moments. Matthew chapter 7, starting in verse 24. The text reads, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house. But it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house. And it fell and great was the fall of it. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. For he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. Very words of God. Amen. Today I want to preach on the topic. Foundations. Can you say foundations with me? Foundations. foundations. Let's pray before we go any further. Father, we just come to you right now, Lord, and I ask you that you would just hide me behind your cross so that you may lift it up, be lifted up in this place. Decrease me, Father, in this place so that you may increase. Have your way. Let folks hear a word from you and not from me. And it's in the mighty name of Jesus we say all these things. And everyone said together, amen and amen. You can be seated. Well, friends, this weekend we had a marriage retreat, and there were many things that were covered while we were there, and one of the things that came up or was covered is, and, and I noticed this when I'm counseling a lot, is that one of the biggest fights or one of the biggest arguments or disagreements that people have, and this is not just in marriages, but also in relationships, period, it truly, it stems from us not truly hearing one another correctly, it's a communication issue. See, what happens is that we tend to hear what we want to hear and not what the person is actually saying. Y'all ever been there before? Somebody's not listening to you. They say what you, they, they react to something. You're like, you don't hear me. Because what happens is when we hear them say what we thought they said, we now react accordingly. And most of the time it's wrong. See, because... To properly hear someone, to hear them correctly and listen to them, you, you, you got to, so to say, 
park your car. You got to put it in neutral and you need to sit a minute. You need to sit. And when I say sit, you need to sit and listen to the other person. And when you listen to the other person, you're listening now without the intent to fix. You're, you're listening without interpreting through your own feelings. You're listening to them and in some way you're validating or you're going to affirm what they're actually saying. And hear me, if you don't know what they're saying, you don't understand it, that's okay. We've all been there before. We don't actually understand everything that comes out of people's mouths. But when you don't understand it, the easiest thing to do, y'all, here's the tip for you, okay? Take it home, write it home, put it in your back pocket, take it home. The easiest thing to do, hear me, y'all ready? Is to just repeat it back to them. And then say, is that what you meant? You got to make it a little bit elementary. Is this what you meant to say? And most of the time when you do that, they're probably going to say, no, that's not actually what I meant. That's not what I meant. You heard that, but that's not what I meant. Because see, what happens is when we're listening, if we're not hearing through the same lens, we're always going to misinterpret them. So, so if somebody's talking to you and they're communicating through this emotional lens, they're telling you about their emotions, but yet you're hearing them with a non-emotive lens, this, 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 this lens that's more in reality, it's not in motion, you're always going to react the wrong way. So the best thing to do is to just repeat what they said and ask for clarity. Y'all can thank me later. See, what we commonly do, though, is that we listen and we try to fix or provide solutions when we're listening to someone. We don't listen to hear what's actually going on in their heart. We want to fix them. And in most cases, just listening to someone might be the fix. That might be all that they need. There might not be an action that's needed. You just might need to listen to what they're saying and that fixes them. Because if somebody is sharing their feelings with you, if they're sharing their emotions with you, if they're letting you into their innermost thoughts, the things that are going on in their body, if they're telling you what's going on in my heart and you try to fix them, now you make them feel devalued. You make them feel less than. You make them feel misunderstood and what happens is now they don't want to talk to you anymore. Why, why would I talk to you? You don't even listen to me. You're not hearing me. In their book, uh, Can You Hear Me Now, Dallas and Nancy Demet, they say it this way. It's a book that I really love. They say this. To listen to someone else means being out of the spotlight, out of the control position, and in the place of the learner a position that is considered weak and undesirable. See, we don't like not being in control. Friends, what, what I'm trying to get at is that as a people, we tend to have a hearing problem. We have a hearing problem. We listen in order to move to action. We, we don't listen first and hear what people say and then act accordingly. We don't listen to understand. We listen to move. And that's not right. And see, the issue with this hearing problem, this communication problem that we actually have, it typically trickles right down into our relationship with God. So now we don't hear him the way we, he wants us to hear him. We, we don't read the scriptures the way he wants us to read the scriptures. We hear him the way we want to hear, hear him. And then we act according to what we thought we heard or what we feel. And now we have not acted in accordance to the scriptures, but instead with what we thought he said.
See, see, what I'm saying is that we pick up this Bible right here and we start reading it through the lens of Derek Puckett. We read it through the me lens. We read it through our lens instead of saying, God, show me yourself. We don't read it saying, Holy Spirit, I, I, I just want you to open up my eyes, open the eyes of my heart. Let me see what you have for me instead of what I want for me. Friends, if we're honest, we don't commonly read the Bible to get to know God. We read the Bible to soothe our feelings. We read the Bible so that God can speak into our situation. And hear me, he can do that. The Bible will do that for you. But don't miss this. The primary reason we read the scriptures as Christians is to get to know God. I got one clap. And see, I believe Jesus is summing up the Sermon on the Mount here in this passage, saying to those, those who hear me, th those who listen and read correctly, they will know me and they will build their lives around me instead of anything else. And guess what? I am the only foundation that will last. That's what Jesus is saying. So family, let me ask you, who or what are you building your foundation upon? That's the question we must answer as we walk through the text. Who or what are you building your foundation upon? Is it Jesus or someone else? Is it Jesus or something else? Now, as we get into the text this morning and in the Sermon on the Mount, the text today, like last week, is still, it's still in the same line of thought or the conclusion that we started. It's this conclusion to the Sermon on the Mount. But in last week, as Jesus preached and we focused on what he was saying he, he's talking about don't just say don't just say it do it he, he's he's saying you could say one thing but don't just say it you got to do it so Lord Lord he says many will call me Lord Lord but that doesn't mean they're getting in the kingdom of heaven he's saying they say this but they don't actually believe it see there's a big difference between being a poser and a true believer in Jesus Christ basically we can't just say we believe in Jesus or just praise him in public or, or, or do what we, we want. Say, say I, I love you, Jesus. I love you on Sunday. I'm going to give you all of me. You're a good, good father. But then Monday through Saturday, we do what we want. No, no. Jesus is saying, I can't just be your savior. I also have to be your Lord. You can't have one without the other. I'm both of them. It's either both or none. I'm savior and Lord. That's, what Je that's a hard word because we think we're the Lord. We think we're captain of ourselves. Yeah, thank you, Jesus, for dying for me, but I'm going to do what I want to do. Jesus is like, it doesn't work that way. See, the question we must answer is, if Jesus came and he took back the covers of our lives and he was looking at our heart, would he see a genuine heart that truly believes or would he see a poser? What would he see? This is what we covered last week. Now, I believe Jesus is keeping with that same train of thought. He's, he's keeping in line with that same scripture today in our passage and asking the same question in the text. But he's more so being a little bit more straightforward today. He's not just asking a question. He's saying, I need you to hear me, but also do what you hear. He's essentially saying, listen and act accordingly. But as I pointed out in the beginning, we commonly have a hearing problem, especially when it comes to the Bible. Because if it's not what I want, if it's not what I think is right, 
we got this tendency to start reading into what Jesus is actually saying to make it fit how we feel. Mm, don't have sex before marriage. That's the Bible. Ah, oh, God, but still, I, I got these, these feelings for her, for him. I'm, I'm weak in the knees, Jesus. And, and I don't believe you would give me these deep feelings for this person if you didn't want me to indulge in them. Uh, the Bible says be a good steward. Well, well, Jesus, I got my budget in line. I'm doing well with my finances. I'm paying my bills off. I'm doing all of this. But I got a little bit of money left over. And you know that BMW just came out. And it's calling my name. All the bells and whistles. It's everything I want, Jesus. I got money to pay for it. I know I live at home with my mama. And I'm still paying off debt. I, I, I know it, Jesus. But, but I, I still tithe. I got this money. Can't I do it? See, isn't it funny how we can tend to read into the scriptures what we feel is right instead of just actually taking the words of God and living by them? And the problem is when you read the scriptures, when you read Jesus' words, he's pretty black and white. He's he pretty straightforward. I mean, he, he doesn't leave a whole lot of room in there for interpretation. We just may not like what he says. We don't like what we read. We don't like what we hear. So we start twisting it to make it fit what we feel is right. And hear me, just because you don't like what he says, that doesn't make what you feel right and what he's saying wrong. This is the fact of God's word. Your feelings come from facts, not feelings and then facts. We get that wrong a lot of times. So, 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 so the word is right. Our feelings can be off a bit and may not line up, but we got to trust his word. But sometimes we twist it to make it fit what we feel. I mean, it's like being in elementary school. Anybody remember being in elementary school? Maybe y'all grew up like me. Now they have cell phones and all kind of stuff in elementary school. I don't get it, but they got all of that stuff in elementary school. We didn't have that growing up. And in elementary school, you, 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 you had a tendency to start liking people, you know, like, like this girl or that boy, you thought they were cute and stuff. So, and what you did is you'd be sitting in class, and because you didn't have cell phones, you couldn't text anybody, you would take a piece of paper, and you would tear it off, and you'd write on there, do you like me? Circle one, yes or no. And that girl or that person would be sitting across the class, so you'd say, okay, I'm going to fold this up. And I'm going to pass it down the road. And you just hoped that it got all the way to the person because it might be another sister that opened up and you're like, oh, they want you to see that. It ain't you. It ain't you. I'm sorry, baby. It ain't you. And you hoped it got to the right person. And, you know, sometimes you get that thing back and it would say it would be no circled. And you'd be like, oh, no. But you know my name. You, you gave me a hug. You noticed me in the hallway. And see, what happens is you start reading your feelings into that no, and you're like, they didn't mean that. There's no way that they meant no. And now you just become this persistent type of person where you're just going to pursue at all costs and hope that they're going to cave in one day and say yes. But instead, you just irritate the mess out of them. Why won't he leave me alone? And see, instead of just reading no, you read into the, the answer that, that you wanted it to be. And friends, that's commonly what we do when we read the scriptures. 
We read to feel what we want or what we want to see from God. We pick up the Bible and say, God, show me what you, what, show me the scripture today. I, I need a word from you, God. You, you know, you flipping open the Bible. I'm like, oh, there's my scripture for today. We're not reading it to know God. We want it for ourselves. But again, the primary reason we read the scriptures as Christians is to know God. And in that, you do get to know yourself. See, the whole Sermon on the Mount, as Jesus is walking through this, Jesus has been clearly spelling out what it means to be a true Christian. He begins talking about what it means to be blessed. Y'all remember back in chapter 5, the Beatitudes? Then he rattles off a list of antithesis statements where he's breaking down commandments that have been misconstrued or misunderstood, misleading, because the religious leaders of the day have been teaching them wrong. Things like murder and anger or adultery and lust. And he's really saying... That is not just about not committing the act. It's also about the condition of your heart. He keeps going with oaths in chapter 6 and retaliation and loving your enemies and praying, fasting. He says, do not be anxious, judging others. All throughout the last three chapters, Jesus has been explaining what it means to live as a Christian. And he gets to the conclusion, and in a few different ways, he makes it very plain. He says, you're either going to follow me. Or you're going to follow or go someplace else. You're either going to live by my words or you're going to live by something else. Which one is it going to be? And then he spells it out for us because each one of these have an eternal resting place. He says, look, look, chapter 7, verse 13 to 14. Look at it with me. He says, enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many, for the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. He then says it another way. You keep reading verse 21. He says this. He says, not everyone that says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my father and who is in heaven. So in essence, Jesus is, is saying, don't just call me Lord. Don't just say it. Live in obedience. Don't say one thing and do another thing. And then last but not least, again in this text today, he's saying, hear my words and live by them. Live by them, which leads to a solid foundation as opposed to living by something else, which leads to destruction. He's pretty clear, y'all. Jesus is not leaving any room here for interpretation. He, he's, he's pretty clear about this. Basically saying, here's the clearest message I can give you on what it looks like to live as a Christian. And the crux of it all hinges on whether you believe in me as Lord and you're going to live for me or not. Do you just say you believe in me? Or do you actually believe? Do you read my scriptures and live by them? Or not. Now, looking at this text, I've already mentioned it, but there's some key words here, key phrases. Jesus says, hear these words of mine, hear and do. You see him using those words over again. He says, hear and do. And then he says, if you don't do them, he says these few words is hear and do or hear and, and you don't do. And then we see Jesus give two outcomes based upon if someone does his words or not. See, again, this passage, or the passage before this, it focused on 
saying something and not doing it. This one is on hearing and doing. He's saying the one who hears and the one who does my words will be like someone who built their house on a solid foundation. But the one who does not do the words after hearing is like building their house on sand. Then he gives you what happens when things start hitting these houses, like, like the rain or the wind and the floods, they start coming. And I love that Jesus is using natural forces when he's talking about the things that are hitting on these houses. He doesn't use your circumstances or the things that you do. And this is key because sometimes things that happen to you, I need y'all to hear me, sometimes the things that happen to you aren't because you did it. Sometimes things happen to you because things around you are just hard. But sometimes, if not most of the time, the things that happen to us are because of something we've done. And maybe there's a consequence. But either way, don't miss the point that Jesus is really getting at right here. He's saying whether the problems you're going through, whether the circumstances that are circling around you are self-inflicted or not, that doesn't matter. What really matters is have you built your life upon me or something else? He's saying, what's your foundation like? See, and that's that question. That's the same one. What's your foundation? Because all of us in here, all of us, if we haven't already, will go through something. We all will go through some kind of storm. My grandma used to say it this way. She said, you're either going into a storm you're either in the storm already or you're coming out of one. We're all going to go into a storm. The question we have to answer is that while we're in the storm, is your foundation strong enough so that you make it through? What's the foundation you're standing upon in your life right now? I remember uh, back in 2005 when Hurricane Katrina hit in New Orleans, devastating storm. Whole houses and cars and sadly people just washed away. And I had the chance to travel down there in 2006 and do some relief work. And when I got down there in the spring of 2006, months later, and to my dismay, you would find houses still that hadn't been cleared out. You see people that are still hungry. They haven't been helped. I mean, it was very saddening. And I remember driving in on that long bridge to get in there, and you see palm trees that are literally ripped out of the ground. Now, if you don't know anything about a palm tree, they're not supposed to be ripped out of the ground. They're, they're designed in a way where the palms can close up and they can take the highest winds. But they're ripped out of the ground. We were driving through some neighborhoods and we're clearing out homes. And one thing I will never forget is that you would see homes that were totally dismantled. You see cars that were flipped over. But every now and again, if there wasn't anything there, if the house was gone, what you would still see there was the cement patch, the, the foundation where the house was gone. Don't miss what I'm saying. The house is gone, but the foundation was still there. You would see houses that were battered and bruised, knocked down to pieces, wood laying around, bricks laying around, but yet the cement foundation is still there. Someone still owned that lot, that foundation is still there. Everything else was gone but the foundation. Family, I'm asking you again, what does your foundation look like? When the storms of life hit you, 
What does your foundation look like? Are you able to stand the test of time because your foundation is stronger than the storms that are hitting you? What have you built your lives upon? See, some of us have walked in today and those sins, those things that are happening in our life, they caught up with us. They're literally eating us up. They're beating us down. And everything in your life feels like it's falling down right in front of you. It's falling apart. When that happens to you, where do you turn? We all go someplace. Who do you lean into? What does your foundation look like? Is your foundation strong enough to make it through the storms of life? That's the question. Jesus is bringing this Sermon on the Mount to a close, and he uses his parable, and he's drawing a very distinct line for the hearers and the readers between founding your life on doing and obeying the words or something else. Doing Jesus' words or something else. Now, a little context, the hearers here, they would, have, they would have understood this illustration. They would have understood this because in verse 25, when he talks about the wind and the rain and the floods, the people would have understood where he was coming from because they would have thought about where they were living. They would have known that the winds and the waves, the Sea of Galilee was known for all the torrential winds and the storms. So they knew that, that they had to build their houses a certain way. So, and they also knew in the summer when they were building, because that's when you want to build the ground was very hot because of this. I mean, it was very hard because of the sun. It was dry. And so what tended to happen is that people, when they're building their houses, they would get lazy and, and just not build deep into the ground. They would build a very shallow foundation, but they would make their houses look nice on the outside. They would build everything else, but the foundation would not be strong. But a smart builder would come along and he would make sure that he built down us several feet below the ground into the bedrock that was below the ground. He would make sure that his foundation was strong enough so that when the winds and everything came around, those unforeseen circumstances came, it would not blow his house down. He dug down into the bedrock. But on the other hand, you had these people that built their houses on sand. What he's saying is that they built their houses to look pretty on the outside. But they didn't take time to build their foundation. They didn't take time to make their foundation look good. And family, as I said earlier, it's easy to look good on the outside. It's easy to praise God on Sunday morning. It's easy to look the part. But if we opened up that heart, our faith would be non-existent. What's your foundation look like? You see, when I'm reading this passage, Jesus says, we keep going. Jesus is not just asking about your foundation. Jesus is also saying, how deep is your foundation? It's like them old R&B prophets, you know, Drew Hill, where they say, how deep is your love? Y'all know that song, do you? Y'all go back and listen to some R&B. You, you know what I'm talking about. It's, how deep is your love for me? How deep is that foundation? Jesus is saying, look, do you, just, do you do some of my words or do you actually look at the scriptures, seek me out and do all of my words in your life? Have, have you just made this skimpy foundation where you picked out a few verses, you tattooed them all over your body and said, this is what I'm going to live by? Or have you actually dug deep into my word, obeyed my word and have a fervent, fervent prayer life? What, what, what's, what's your foundation look like? Is Jesus the bedrock of your faith? Have you dug deep into his word? 
and made him your all in all. You see, it's easy to praise of God when things are going well. But when those storms hit, what do you do then? Family, he can't just be the foundation of your life, but he has to be the bedrock, the bedrock of your life, the unmovable bedrock. So when those storms hit, you can declare, as the hymn writer said, on Christ this solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. Y'all know it? Family, is Jesus the bedrock of your life? How deep is that foundation? Everyone in here has probably seen the Willis Tower before, right? I grew up, it was called the Sears Tower. It's the tallest building in the, the Western Hemisphere, and it's one of the tallest buildings in the world, standing about 110 stories tall, which is about 1,730 feet. Tall. Some of y'all have actually got up there and went onto that sky deck. Uh-uh. I, I heard about it cracking, and I said, man, it's a million and one ways for a black man to die, and that ain't going to be one of them. <laughs> I'm good. I'm not doing that. So, but some of y'all have done that. And um, it took 2,000 workers to build this, this tower back in three years. Now, it's 25 miles of plumbing. Listen to these stats. 1,500 miles of electric wiring. There's 80 miles of elevator cable and 145,000 light fixtures. The Willis Tower contains approximately 4.56 million gross square feet. Now, if you took that 4.56 million gross feet and you spread it out across flat ground, that would be 105 acres. To put that in the context of Chicago, that's equal to 16 city blocks. Now, there are more fun facts. If you look up the Willis Tower, you can find things about it. But the one thing that really intrigues me about the Willis Tower is the foundation because the building was constructed in 1973, so that's 46 years ago. I started asking the question, how in the world does this building that was constructed so long ago, it's so tall, how does it stand the forces of the wind, the, the rain, the sleet, the all that other mess we get here in Chicago, how does it stay standing? Doing my research, I found that it, it, you know, it was built out of some materials that can sway with the wind a bit. But even more than that, when I looked at the foundation, this is really intriguing. The tower, hear me, is composed of bundled structural tubes. They pioneered this construction. It's resting on reinforced concrete casings or chambers where water cannot enter. You know, it's close to Lake Michigan. Water cannot enter, and these tubes and these casings go all the way down to the bedrock. Then the casings, lastly, are tied together by a reinforced concrete mat. I know I just lost some of y'all, so listen to this. The foundation for the Willis Tower is a massive concrete structure that is 100 feet below the ground. You cannot see it, but it actually is there. And then on top of that, there's huge cement-filled cylinders bored another additional 100 feet below the ground in the solid bedrock which is a layer of solid rock hundreds of feet below the ground. Now, 
Here's my point in all of this. Some of y'all may be following me with this, but the reason the Willis Tower has stood the test of time so long, weathering the flows, weathering all the rain, all the snow, all the weather that comes here into Chicago is because in, in the midst of everything else, the Willis Tower is rooted far beneath the ground in solid bedrock. You cannot see it, but it's far stronger than we could ever imagine. Now, family, hear me. Here's my point in all of that. If you believe in Jesus, you are able to walk differently, you are able to stand differently, you are able to love differently, you are able to live differently, you are able to fight differently. You're able to do all these things because your faith is rooted in someone named Jesus. And as the text tells us, he's the foundation. He is the bedrock of our faith. He is the alpha and the omega. He's the one that starts a good work in you, and he doesn't finish. He doesn't leave you until he's done, y'all. He is Jesus. He's far stronger and better than anything we could ever imagine. He may not feel like it all the time, but he's saying, trust me, hear my words, do them. Now, friends, this sermon ends by saying in verse 28 through 29, it says, look at it with me. This is intriguing. It says, and when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. Now, the people here, they recognize that Jesus preached with authority. And that was different than any of their other teachers. They say that right here in the text. But now if you look at it, you notice that it does not say whether or not the people actually believed. It just says that they were astonished. See, there's this unwritten, open-ended question that lingers at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. And the question is, do we believe that Jesus is all that he said he is? Do we believe that he's God? Do we believe that he can provide like he says in the Sermon on the Mount? Do we believe that he can take all of our anxiety away? Do we believe that as the text says, when the storms of life actually hit us, if we trust in Jesus, we can stand firm? Family, the question we must answer is, do we believe his words and do we live by them? Will we choose to obey him, trusting him as Lord? That's the question. And how we answer that question will dictate how we live our lives. But according to the scriptures, Jesus also lets us know, and this is tough. He says, whichever path you choose, there is an eternal resting place to both of those. So let me end with this, this famous C.S. Lewis quote. Maybe you've heard it, maybe you haven't, because, hear me, Jesus, he's not leaving a whole lot of room in here. He, he, he's, he's saying, you can't just sit on a Christian bench with the jersey on and say you represent me. No, you got to get in the game. You got to follow me. You got to live by my words. You need to share my goodness with other people. C.S. Lewis writes this, he says, I am trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept this claim to be God. 
That is one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with a man that says he's a post ed or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman or something else. You can shut him up a fool. You can spit at him. And you can kill him as a demon or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about him being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. Now it seems to me obvious that he was neither a lunatic nor a fiend. And consequently, however strange or terrifying or unlikely it may seem, I have to accept the view that he was and is God. Friends, is that true of you? Have you truly trusted Jesus as God? Has his words actually permeated your heart and changed the way you do life? Is he your foundation and do you live accordingly? See, the believer or not, this is to all of us in here. How you respond to Jesus' words in the Sermon on the Mount matters. It matters. Not only today, but for the rest of your life. Because as the text says today, the storms of life will hit. Those problems will come. Things will happen in your life. And whether or not you'll be able to stand those storms or those tests of time is all dependent on whether or not you're founded in Jesus or not. Will you live for him? You see, some of us walked in here and we're, we're struggling right now. Our emotions are really getting into us. Anxiety is really messing with us. Life feels like it's just falling apart. Things are just tough. You don't know where to turn. You're hurting. Someone has hurt you. The storms of life are really hitting you. We may not be able to see it, but you know what's going on in your heart. And Jesus is saying, just trust me. Trust me. I know it's tough. Trust me. Family, will you live for him today? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your goodness. You're an awesome God. Father, I pray that, that you'd walk with us, that you'd be with us. That the folks that are, that are struggling right now, that may have walked in here with something on their hearts, maybe life just period has been getting them down, their struggles, whether it be lust or anxiety, something is messing with them, God. They're hurting and they need you. God, I pray that you'll work in their hearts and that they will know that you are a good father, that you're a good God, and that you love them. Draw them closer to you so that they can experience the goodness of Jesus. Father, we thank you. 
We thank you for your word. And it's in Jesus' mighty name we all said together, amen. Thanks again for tuning into our podcast today. I pray that it was a blessing and an encouragement to your soul. I look to see you at one of our services at 9.30 or 11 a.m. on Sunday morning. Take care. God bless you.